Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. To get to JFK Airport from my apartment in Brooklyn is a marathon. I could spend more than an hour taking a bus to a train to another train, or spend less time but more money for a rideshare and risk getting stuck in traffic. Since I'm a frequent traveler who doesn't always pack light, these options aren't exactly ideal, even though the airport is less than 10 miles away. But what if I could fly to my flight for the same cost as an Uber or a Lyft? That's what flying taxis or EV tolls promise to do. EV tolls, which stands for Electric Vertical Takeoff and Landing Vehicle, are battery-powered aircraft that take off vertically like a helicopter, fly horizontally like a plane, and then land vertically like a helicopter again. And making short airport runs, like from my neighborhood in Brooklyn to JFK, are exactly what flying taxi companies want to start doing as soon as 2025. But they're waiting on the go-ahead from regulators. So how could flying taxis fit into our crowded urban airways and fly as safely as a commercial plane? So as I look out there, I imagine a world that if we've gotten it right, from the regulatory framework, from the level of safety that the public expect, and if all that comes together, then uh, it's a world that we only thought about as science fiction before that becomes science fact in the moment. From The Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Alex Osala. Today, we're bringing you my interview with Billy Nolan, the acting administrator of the Federal Aviation Administration, from the Wall Street Journal's Future of Everything Festival. He tells us about the agency's new blueprint for regulating air taxis and what it would take to get those first passengers on board. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Here's my conversation with acting FAA Administrator Billy Nolan from the Future of Everything Festival. It's been edited for Time and Clarity. I think if people are not already familiar with flying yes. taxis, they might think this sounds exactly like a helicopter. Like, how is it technologically different from a helicopter and how does that affect the regulation? And so imagine a helicopter today, of course, it's taken up vertically, it's got a rotor, it's got a tail rotor. Now you take an eVTOL, most of them have between four and maybe 12 rotors, some of which are fixed, some of which translate from the vertical plane, and then lifts off, and then the forward rotors tilt forward, and now it is in a what we call an, air, uh, an airplane mode, fly to its destination, translate back to vertical flying to land vertically at a vertiport or heliport or any other landing surface. 
So vertical, horizontal, vertical. Exactly. So you already talked a bit about safety. Uh, you know, I, this is a new industry, yes. right? Uh, talking about these flying taxis. Riders are going to want to know what is the FAA doing to make sure flying taxis are safe enough to put your family in? Here's what I say to the industry. What I say is while the industry innovates on technology, our role within the FAA and global regulators is to innovate on policy. What we can assure is that the flying public will not accept if it's not safe. And so our goal, while we say technology will never trump safety, certainly not on our watch or the watch of any regulator around the world. So we have to get that right. We have to make sure the vehicle is safe. So we are working to ensure that's the rigor to, to get through the certification process. And then ensuring that those standards for how the operators will, will operate the vehicle, that's in, critically important. And another aspect of safety is just ensuring that they can safely integrate into our nation airspace. So when you think about the very early generations of this, maybe version 1.0 will be mostly utilizing helicopter type routes from, say, I'll give you a good example. It took me an hour and five minutes at a cost of about $125. Most of you know this, to get from JFK to my hotel. Imagine being able to do that same flight in 15 minutes at the same rate or less than what you would pay by Uber, Lyft, or any other mode of conveyance, right? So this is what we're trying to enable. And, in the, and as we progress, we will have increasing uses of artificial intelligence and other things we'll do as we start to get to scale. So when you talk about scale, though, the first thing that I hear, besides that sounds nice, is uh, this sounds crowded. Like, it sounds like it's going to be a crowded airspace, and logistically, that sounds complicated. So how does this blueprint get the FAA ready to coordinate more crowded skies? So let's think about how we are doing it today. On any given day in our national airspace, we have between 45 to 50,000 flights in the U.S. If you think about corridors, call it streets, avenues, whatever, right, that ability in the, in the early phases to do that visual line of sight or day VFR, visual flight rule conditions where you can see other helicopters, other air taxis, and that sort of see and avoid. As we get closer to scale, that ability to leverage technology, and this is something that we are working very closely with NASA as well as the industry itself to say, how do we do that in a way that has separation standards, everything that we've come to expect in the safety of our aerospace ecosystem today is what we expect tomorrow. When I say a lot of work has been done, I really mean that we've been working with NASA since 2019 on what that airspace model integration looks like, and we continue to work on it, you know, even to this very hour. So who would actually be in charge of air traffic control? Is that something that's in the blueprint? Well, you, you look at today. So today, you know, our air traffic controllers control all of our flying. But remember, not all airspace is a control. There are parts of our country where you could be in what's called uncontrolled airspace, where I can take off and, you know, I might be in my Cessna or I might be in my helicopter. If I'm in uncontrolled, I can take off, file a flight plan and go without ever talking to an air traffic controller. What we are talking about is that ability to fly, whether it be within cities or connecting cities, or connecting rural communities to, to larger cities is this ability to have this kind of technology that will enable more folks to travel than currently can do so today. And in early phases, that will probably be controllers. But as you get to scale, it will be as we move into artificial technology and use into other types of technology where there can be a level of self-separations by the aircraft themselves. And how do you see public adoption playing out, especially if there's an incident 
early on? Well, I remember my very early days of, of being an Army pilot and getting to the helicopter for the first time. You get something called a nickel ride. It's in the middle of February. I'm sweating bullets. I'm going, oh, boy, am I going to be able to do this, right? But uh, you get over that reticence pretty quickly. I think there will be a level of acceptance once we determine as a regulator that is absolutely safe and that's proven and that is demonstrated. Even as we speak today, there are operators out there who are doing flights some have done thousands of flights already in, in what we're calling proof of concept. And so what I want to assure the flying public is that we will not sign off, that we will not certify an aircraft until we know that it's safe. And what I've said to the industry, when you put the first paying passenger on board, it has to meet the same standard as if I'm on a Cessna, whether I'm on a Gulfstream uh, corporate jet or whether I'm on a Boeing 787. Up next, Billy Nolan tells us when flying taxis could be in a sky near you and what still needs to be done to get them there. That's after the break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So let, let's talk about when all this is coming. 2025 seems to be the year everyone's talking about. It's when some companies have said they intend to launch their flying taxis. Former United Airlines CEO Oscar Munoz predicted that's when we would have flying, uh, commercialized flying taxis. 2025. Is that the same time frame that the FAA has in mind? It is the same time frame, and that's in the very early stage. And in fact, we're going to be releasing our, what we're calling Innovate 2028, and we're using the LOA Olympics coming up in 2028 to say, how do we overlay its scale? across the LA basin, air taxis, drones, uh, et cetera, and how well that integrates into the airspace. So the certification pathway is very straightforward. We are writing the rules for how the pilots or the operators will operate or fly the aircraft itself. We will have that done and published by the end of say, the third quarter fiscal of next year. We expect the first air taxis to take flight either in late next year or early 2025. And we're ready, and the industry will be ready at that time. What has to happen between now and then? Uh, I mean, what is the biggest challenge for the FAA? Uh, the biggest challenge for the FAA and all regulators is to make sure that we are keeping pace, that we have to be agile in terms of our rulemaking. And so that's one of the reasons we're working closely. In fact, next month, I'm heading over to Germany to talk with EASA, the European Aviation Safety Agency. So we are talking with regulators around the world. We want to harmonize playing field as best we can to make sure that we can enable it not only just here in the U.S., but around the globe itself. And I can tell you that I have ongoing dialogue with every part of the globe in terms of how we do this, because that, that's the same level of excitement that we feel here. You're seeing that around the world. Yeah, actually, I was wondering about that because, I mean, I know that 
there have been discussions with other international partners on some of these standards. So will there be differences in those regulatory frameworks? And if so, like which will prevail? In the end, the outcome is the same. You've got something that, as I said, takes off like a helicopter, flies like a plane, lands like a helicopter. We want to make sure that we get that right in terms of the regulatory framework. So we're all vested in the same outcome to make sure it's safe. Uh, I've talked with my, my counterparts in Brazil and Japan and Korea and across all of Europe over the course of last year. So we're all, uh, we're all moving in the same direction at nearly the same amount of time. Um, one of the things that has, has come up around flying taxis is uh, access, right? So what is the FAA doing to make sure these kinds of aircraft are accessible, not just uh, to the wealthy, to the masses? The market itself will determine winners and losers. We will make sure that the certification is there. But as I've talked to the leaders of industry who are in this space, I, as I understand it, the model is something akin to what an Uber would cost. If you can get that to about a $3 per seat mile cost, a 20-minute segment is what the expected average will be. You're talking about $60 for a typical segment. That's about what you'd pay an Uber or Lyft or any other conveyance today. So I believe, not speaking for the industry itself, recognizing that if it's not scalable, that if it's not accessible, then it probably won't work. So I, I believe there's a lot of energy to make sure they get that right. When do you think that kind of price point would be possible? Well, uh, some of the conversations I've had is I, I believe folks are looking at on day one when they come to market. Again, the, the early part, the initial phase will be very low density. If I were to look into a, a crystal ball, i say we are proof of concept there. We're there on some level of scale in 2028. You've got mass scale by the time you get to 2030, and you've probably got a mature industry by the time you get to 2035. So you think about what goes in terms of making all that come to life. This is the, the case that folks are working on, and we're making sure that we can enable. So in terms of infrastructure, I know that in the blueprint you talk about you know, using helipads and existing infrastructure for helicopters. Yes. At scale, do you think that's going to have to change? It's going to have to expand? So in the U.S., we have roughly 5,000 airports. Most folks don't think about it. You, know, you fly to JFK, LaGuardia, Newark, L.A., et cetera, and you forget that, that it's a really, really big country, right? But we've already written the standards, for example, for vertiports and how it operates. So initially, we're going to see uses of helipads, uses of some of these maybe little-used airports. But we will see the proliferation, if you will, of more vertiports. And remember, there's another aspect to this, how we power it. So when we think about the electrical grid, that's a critical component ensuring that we can get electrical energy to vertiports and to heliports. And so that that's another key enabler of this moving at a wide scale. So uh, thinking a little bit further into the future, I know that there has been some talk of, of having piloted flying taxis, but also unpiloted, yes. sort of further down the line. From a regulatory perspective, is there a difference between those two? So as an international captain in my previous life, I spent a great part of my time where you take off, the autopilot comes on. Yes, I am monitoring the systems are being monitored. I fly to my destination and I'm either landing visual or there I can also land the airplane fully automatically depending on the conditions. So when we think about autonomy, there are various phases of autonomy currently in play today. We will ensure as a regulator that when we get to the point where whether we're talking partial or full autonomy, that the aircraft is ready and it will be certified as such. So it is a piece that we're thinking about. NASA has done a lot of work in this space and I know the industry is moving at speed to say what are all the systems that control the architecture, the means of compliance, what happened if 
a machine is doing it versus a human at the, at the time, right? So those are the, the kind of issues and constraints that we're working to resolve. But in terms of full autonomy, yes. it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while, right? Like fully automatic. I think we'll see the first variations of this will be piloted. And as we see how that unfolds and as that scales up, but, we're, but I can tell you that the industry is working both simultaneously, right? This says, what do we see? And what are, again, the means of compliance in terms of that level of architecture within the aircraft itself? So that if it's fully autonomous, what else do we need to, to ensure that we've gotten it right? So that is moving along at about the same pace, but the first ones will be piloted. Keeping our sort of long-term picture in mind here and, and zooming out a little bit, what is your long-term vision for EV tolls or, or flying taxis? What will the industry look like in 10 years? I think in 10 years' time. So if we were to project ourselves into 2033, uh, I expect that we have air taxis at scale, especially in a place like New York City, all of our major cities, Chicago, LA, San Francisco, Miami, the Dallas, Fort Worth area, et cetera, right? This this is the real exciting thing because it is the ability that will transform how we think of transportation. Our ability to, again, to get from JFK to here in 10 minutes versus an hour in 10 minutes, a lot of folks will sign up to that. We want to make sure that it's accessible. We want to make sure, you know, it's affordable. If it's not, then is that something that will sell? So as I look out there, I imagine a world that if we've gotten it right from the regulatory framework, from the level of safety that the public expects, and if all that comes together, then uh, it's a world that we only thought about as science fiction before that becomes science fact in the moment. And we're, we're well on our way to making that a reality today, not in 10 years' time. Okay. What would it take for you to fly in a flying taxi? I, I always say, I, I like to say feelers, I'd be on the first flight to Mars, so that gives you a sense of the kind of person that I am. I'd, I'd be on the first one. Aviation is certainly in my blood, right? And I've, I've done this as a small boy growing up in Alabama. You know, I heard the sound of a helicopter the first time, and I've never lost that sense of wonder about it. So I say bring it on. Anything that transforms our lives, how we travel, how we move about, I see as a good thing. Billy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It's very good to hear this story. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Alex Osula. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Jessica Fenton and Michael Laval are our sound designers. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Editorial support was provided by Falana Patterson. Like the show, tell your friends, and leave a five-star review on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening.